whilst growing up, I honestly thought people in America just had iron hands or something because they could just twist <laughs> their bottles off. It's yeah. the Andrew Jackson approach to opening beer. <laughs> yes. If that doesn't work, shoot it. Welcome to Totalis Rankium. This week, State of the Union Part 2. Hello and welcome to American Presidents Totalis Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the presidents from Washington to Trump, but not this week. <gasps> no. Um, no, no, because it's our second State of the Union episode this ooh. week. Um, yeah, we're not going to release Pierce Part 2 this weekend, uh, partly because I'm on a residential trip as part of my work, so I'm a bit uh. busy at the moment. Uh, but also, we have this fantastic interview lined up, so we thought we'd release this this weekend. Sounds good. Yeah. So who are we talking to? Well, Jamie, as you know, we've already talked to them. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, we have. A while ago, in fact. And then after the interview, we had a celebratory couple of drinks and then remembered we haven't recorded the intro. <laughs> I was trying to play it cool, but... <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so here is our intro. Um, we are talking to Jerry Landry from the Presidency's podcast, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the chat. Yeah, it was very good. It was good. So knowledgeable. He so knows his stuff. You can name he? any president, you can tell you stuff about them, like in-depth stuff. Occasionally I'd make up a president and he already knew about them. Yeah. Yeah, that's how much he knows. That is on the ball. <laughs> it's on the ball. Yeah, anyway, so we uh, we talked to Jerry about um, presidents from Van Buren to Fillmore, although we talked about some of the others a bit yeah. as well. And uh, just generally, how did we do with our ranking? Mm. Uh, so yes, have a listen, and uh, go and check out his podcasts, the Presidency's podcast, and the William Henry Henderson podcast as well. Nice. Uh, yeah, okay. And, Enjoy. Uh, it starts now. What now? Oh, you did this last time, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> the joke was, keep it, keep it going. <laughs> now. What now? <laughs> yes. Now. Hello and welcome to American Presidents Totalis Rankium. This is State of the Nation. Oh, this is State of the Union. I am Jamie. I'm Rob. And I'm Jerry. We've got an extra person because it's State of the Union and we have contacted yet another genuine American. Oh. We, we found another one. There are a couple of us around here. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> so we're hoping, Jerry, if you don't mind, we're going to um, pick your brains about uh, some of the presidents we've covered recently, and you can tell us what you think. Absolutely. Sounds wonderful. But before we do that, I think maybe you should introduce yourself to our listeners in case they're not sure who you are. So I'm Jerry Landry. I'm the host of the Presidencies of the United States. And like Rob and Jamie, I'm going through each president uh, one at a time to kind of examine and uh, what happened during their presidency, but I'm taking more of an in-depth approach, um, <laughs> quite in-depth. Yeah, just a bit. For example, we're, after a year and a half, I am now on, I'm now about to wrap up with John Adams. So we're taking a little longer review, but in my podcast, I'm not just focusing on the president, but also the people around the president and what's going on around the time that helps to influence 
what happens in the president. Yeah, yeah. So a, a real in-depth look at what's going on with the state of politics. Absolutely. And it's it's fascinating to see because, you know, since I started this, really realizing even 200 years after how many things really haven't changed in politics and society yes. and culture yeah. and what's going on. But for me, I, I take heart in that and that we've we've kind of we've walked these roads before we've made it through and we'll figure things out again no matter what happens. Yeah, it really just does uh, stand out, that does, doesn't it? I think that quite often was <laughs> doing my research. Great, and you're also, um, you also created the Harrison podcast as well. Yes, so that was actually my first start at podcasting. I created the Harrison podcast, which is focused in and around the life of the ninth president, William Henry Harrison, whom y'all covered uh, a few episodes back and we'll actually be talking about. And in, in honor of Harrison, I'm actually wearing my Tippecanoe and Tyler 2 shirt. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I want one of those. I'm impressed. Uh, it did amuse me that when we were going to uh, get to Harrison, I got quite a few messages saying, oh, you'll only need to do one episode on Harrison. It's like, really? <laughs> I've seen the Harrison podcast. How many episodes did you do? So I ended up with, I think it was 40-something episodes, but I did one series <laughs> well, yeah. just on his life, and it was 12 episodes. So, so yes, I, I go for the long view. <laughs> yeah. Right, okay then. Um, so, as we have already discussed um, the President's Washington to Jackson with uh, People Be POTUS, uh, with you, we're going to be discussing Van Buren to Fillmore generally not considered quite quite as good as the earlier presidents exactly and for me this is a fascinating time in american history because we're getting beyond that revolutionary generation and it's starting to get into new generations of leaders of individuals but we're still dealing with some of the legacies that the founding generation knew were going to be problems, and they really didn't figure things out in time. And you see, you know, as you're going past Jackson and closer and closer to 1860, it's this almost unraveling of the status quo, of what America was. And of course, you know, spoiler alert, there's there's some shakeups coming. <laughs> Yes. Hmm. Great. Right. Well, let's dive in then, shall we? We're first going to look at our round statesmanship, which uh, is where we we judge each president on how statesmany they are. <laughs> yeah, Do you want to define that better, Jamie? Yeah. Were they a um, were they presidential? Were they a good role model? Did they represent their country well and effectively? Yeah. How good a politician were they? Yeah. Did they do good things for the country? That kind of thing. So, um, I'm just going to give uh, the scores we've given to these six presidents first, and then we, then we can discuss them. So, uh, the most statesmanship president out of these is Polk on 14. Then, in second place comes Van Buren with 8. Then we've got Taylor on 6. Then we've got Tyler on 4. And then Harrison and Fillmore come in last on 2. Sorry about that with Harrison. I know you're a fan. <laughs> I do have an opinion on that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you might. 
<laughs> yeah. So go on then. Um, well, let's actually let's start with uh, let's start with Polk, shall we? Because uh, we've said he's the most statesmanlike out of this bunch. Uh, do you think we're on the money with that one? I think you were. Um, first of all, Polk has such a lengthy career, and for somebody who was considered a dark horse candidate, you know, this is guy, this is a guy who was the Speaker of the House and is to date the only person who was Speaker of the House to become president. Mm. So he was very much intermeshed in the politics of the time and obviously was successful enough to become president. And also during his tenure, you know, here's a guy who said that I'm only going to serve one term. Yeah. And here are my here are my priorities while I'm in office and he achieved all of them. It's very rare that a president can say that. Yeah, it's remarkable for a politician. When was I saying it, Jamie? I was saying it about a politician off air, nothing to do with the podcast, how all politicians just destroy themselves eventually. You can't bow out of politics gracefully. It just never happens. No. Oh, uh, who was it? Yeah, you were talking about Cameron. David Cameron. Possibly, yeah. Um, but And yet his Polk, uh, proving me wrong, he... he does because at the beginning he says I'm only going to run for one one term in order to to rally his party behind him. Uh, he's able to step away, achieving everything he said he'd achieve. It's without going into too much spoilers for the future. Uh, could you say any other president managed to do that? Oh, I would probably say in terms of the levels of what they were able to achieve in office. I don't know that they necessarily knew going in what exactly they were going to achieve, but thinking about Teddy Roosevelt and his progressive agenda, thinking about FDR and FDR basically having two presidencies, you know, one more focused on the New Deal, one more focused on winning the war, and then LBJ, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson coming in and kind of taking the baton from John F. Kennedy and running with it. And some have argued gone much further than JFK ever would have gone. So I think those, it'll be interesting whenever you get to those presidents and kind of gauge them against some of these earlier presidents, because part of the problem, whenever you're looking at the scope of the presidency, you know, that's, that's been fascinating, you know, looking at Washington and John Adams, just how little influence they had in global politics, how they really, the government was so small in those days, and it was difficult to have more of that direct impact. But then again, it, it becomes, you know, what is the presidency, the presidency and and really all politics is using what position you have in order to achieve results. Yeah, it's, um, I, I think he scored as high as he did. Um, he scored 14. Oh, no, sorry, he scored 13 in this round. I, I just noticed I did that wrong. But, um, yeah, I mean, 13 is way above anyone else in this round because he had um, that clear agenda at the start that he, he pushed through. Although then he did go to war with Mexico, which was a bit of a... A land grab yes uh, <laughs> just a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there's little justification for that so he definitely lost some some points there um yeah i i, 
I still stick by putting him higher than the other five in this category. Um, Van Buren's the other one who scored quite highly, uh, mainly because he helped create the Democrat Party. Absolutely. And again, he was one who was involved in, first of all, you know, New York state politics, but then going into the national level for such a long career. And he did have such an impact on shaping really what we think of now as party politics. Again, right now, talking about, you know, the Washington presidency and the presidency of John Adams, even though I talk about the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans, they're nowhere close to as organized of an institution as Van Buren created. Well, one thing I, I enjoyed about researching him and when we did his episode, Jamie, was that that feeling of yeah. of backroom talks. and it, He felt like a politician for the first time. Yeah, uh, you could really get the sense that you could transplant him into the modern world oh, and easy. he probably would have been okay apart from a bit freaked out by all the blinking lights. And, and even, <laughs> his, even his tactic of um, not giving a straight answer, never, never be able to say, yes, I'm for this. He always kept very on the fence, didn't he? Absolutely. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And really the only aspect of what we now in the modern age think of as a politician that he lacked was that personality that that being able to go out and glad hand exactly and that's where he suffered in 1840 because harrison was great at that he he was able to go (laughs) out and you know be you know everybody's old tip of canoe everybody the 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 honorable general and he was able to get people excited about him as a candidate whereas van buren was still in that mindset of, well, we're not really supposed to go out and campaign for ourselves. That's not yes, honorable. Yeah. And he left the the floor open for everybody else to interpret who he was. He didn't take the reins and define himself on the campaign trail. Well, I'll, I'll give you a chance to... Um defend Harrison's low score in just a second then. Uh, before we do, it's, it's something I was wondering about recently, I, I was read somewhere about Van Buren, in a few places actually, about how he's um, Jackson's underling. He was Jackson's protege. It was, um, I never really got that sense. Uh, I always got the feeling more that Van Buren saw Jackson as uh, a way to get his version of politics through not someone to look up to am i off the mark there no i i i think you're right on the mark and that's the thing that i think people don't understand about van buren and van buren's one of those and again most of the the presidents in this grouping kind of fall into that same misunderstood mindset with van buren you know, he was already a political force before he kind of hitched his wagon to Jackson. And honestly, that was one of the biggest struggles that he had with his presidency is trying to establish himself as an independent president because he did he did ride on Andrew Jackson's coattails. Which is and, a dangerous thing to do with Jackson. He, he gets angry. Oh, yes. Like <laughs> <laughs> Don't say anything about Rachel. <laughs> But exactly. And and he spent four years trying to define himself and, and establish himself as an independent president, while at the same time 
trying not to tee off Jackson and <laughs> his supporters. And honestly, there was no way there was no way for him to do that because you know, you have the panic of 1837, you've got this awful economic situation. Something has to be done, and Jackson didn't have the answers. Jacksonian Democrats didn't have the answers. Mm. And so you see him struggling with this and struggling not to be his protege. And so it's interesting that now most cursory glances of Van Buren, it's, oh, well, he was Jackson's protege. Okay, then. Um, Go on. Why were we so wrong with two points for Harrison then? So with Harrison, again, he's he's one of those that I think that... There are really two areas that people focus on when they think of Harrison. One is the War of 1812, and you know, thinking about Tippecanoe as kind of the the prelude to that, and then his very short presidency. But here's a guy who had a lengthy career. You know, first of all, he was involved in the government of the Northwest Territory, which basically encompassed what we now think of as the Midwest: um, Ohio, Indiana. Uh, Michigan, Illinois, and then he became the governor of the Indiana Territory and had this extensive career, for better or worse, because there there is room, you know, as we as we have hindsight and we have a, an expanded understanding and knowledge base, we look back at at what he did, and yeah, there there were some issues there, but at the time it. And honestly, we wouldn't be, we couldn't be where we are as a United States, if not for some of the actions that he took as the governor of the Indiana Territory. Likewise, even though he he would get to high offices and only stay there for a few years, you know, he was in the U.S. House of Representatives, he was in the Senate, he served his brief tenure as the um, U.S. Minister to Columbia. He he seemed to have this sense of a a great sense of the duties of citizenship and leadership. He took great responsibility on himself to be a good model for folks. And as you study him over time and really start to delve into his life, you you start to get a sense and. I, I know I'm one of very few people who has actually read through his entire inaugural address. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and and studied it extensively, but you get the sense of in there, he's talking about warning people to question government, to not just accept what the executive says, not just constantly give powers to a government or to an individual he stresses ideas of citizens being involved in government and you really get a sense. This is a guy, you know, he, he wasn't always right. And I think he would, he would say that at times he made mistakes, but he tried to be honorable and he tried to present a, a, a example of a good leader. Yeah. You do get the, the, the sense that he is one of those what ifs mm. in American history. Uh, I mean, Tyler was a very different politician, very different wig, not really a wig. Absolutely. Um, it, it would have it been very different if Harrison had survived. And in those 30 days, <laughs> um, I, I quite liked what I was seeing, I'll be honest. Absolutely. 
you know, here here you've got him saying, you know, you've got Henry Clay who basically thinks he's going to come in and, and walk all over Harrison. You know, oh, here's this old man. I'll just tell him what to do and I'll run Congress as well as the White House. And Harrison very quickly shuts him down. He says, no, you stay on your side. I'll stay on my side. We'll work together when we need to, but I'm the president. And and it's really fascinating, you know, that that he starts to set those boundary lines very early. He, you know, especially following on Van Buren, who spent four years trying to placate his predecessor in office. And here you've got this guy coming in and and within 30 days saying, I'm going to be president. I'm going to make my presidency. Okay, so if you were to score him then in this round, uh, because there's only one of you, you can score him out of 20 if you want. Uh, what would you go for? I would probably go... Well, and I, I do have to say that I would probably rank him a little higher than Van Buren, but that may be my bias going in. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and give him a 10. A 10? Okay. Okay. I think I think a short tenure played against him for yeah. us, didn't it? I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think it's when <laughs> you look at his life like we did in approximately three hours, and you've got a round where you're judging how much he did as president and he was only in there for 30 days it's hard to give him a higher mark although you do make a very good point with all the work he did Mm. in the midwest absolutely and and especially thinking of you know the midwest it's it's hard for us to conceive nowadays of that being the frontier but reading some accounts of just how difficult communication was, how difficult it was to get around. And here he is trying to administer this, this wide territory and really having to rely kind of on his own and, and the few people that he's got around him because the government is so far away. You, you send a message to him, I need help. And maybe a few months later, you'll actually hear a response. Yeah, yeah. So as an American being in America. I mean, the, these presidents, these six, are not particularly well-known uh, in, like, outside America, at least speaking from being in England. Absolutely not. Uh, I don't think I had heard of any of them before starting the podcast, I'll be I honest. certainly hadn't. Um, yeah. Uh, I probably could have named roughly about half the presidents before starting the podcast, and none of these six would have been on there. Uh, do, are they well-known in in america no and that's the thing (laughs) you you're pretty much in the same boat as most americans so (laughs) well and it's funny you know you see like millard fillmore has kind of this cult following of being the most forgotten president or you'll get you know the trivia question about harrison having the shortest tenure but other than that, you know, really getting a sense of any of these, no, they are not well known at all in America. The president nearly dying on a boat that blew up. Exactly. Resonate. No. It's like that, that was a big story. I, I remember reading the biography. I had no idea that was coming. I was flicking through the pages reading, and it's what? <laughs> he almost got blown up on a boat. How did, how have I never heard this before? <laughs> exactly. And and I had the same sense whenever I was going through because you know, before I started podcasting, I actually 
took a challenge of reading a biography on each president. And when I got to Tyler and read that, I was like, how do we not know about this? <laughs> yes. I mean, this, this is, this is screen worthy stuff. <laughs> well, actually this, uh, this segues nicely into our next round, which is, um, Disgracegate because, uh, Disgracegate has a clear winner yes. out of these six and that is Tyler. Yeah, so um, in this round, we have Tyler on minus 15. Uh, then we have Polk, Taylor, and Fillmore all on minus 6, and Van Buren and Harrison on minus 4. So, I mean, there is an obvious winner there for Disgracegate. Um, again, gen general feeling. Do you think we're roughly on the right lines there? I think you're roughly on the right mark, and it's funny because I actually, in preparation for this, I took all the scores that you've given thus far, and kind of compared the averages for the first group, so Washington to Jackson, with this group. Oh, I did more work than I did. <laughs> and because of Jackson and Jefferson, in Disgracegate, the first group has a, well, lower rating, so eight, a negative 8.14 versus the, the current group, Van Buren to Fillmore, uh, which is negative 6.83. But Tyler is definitely one of those that stands out. I mean, the man committed treason. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a big one, isn't it? <laughs> on, top of, on top of the other the other things in his life that you can talk about as disgraceful, he committed treason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll be honest. It's not even the treason that I think of first. Either. <laughs> I mean, he, he's got the, the typical, which most of them have at this uh, time, problems with slavery. Um, exactly. But, but Tyler, maybe it was the, the biographies I read, um, but I always got the feeling that Tyler was a bit more okay with slavery than most <laughs> of us. The, the story of him selling... A woman, just so he could get to Washington a bit quicker. Uh, it's just, it's not on. And and the stuff with with Julia, yeah. it's it's creepy. It's a bit creepy. <laughs> it's, it is just a little it bit. Really is. <laughs> well, and and with the slavery issue, you you really get a sense as you're getting into this group, and and you're starting to look at you know politicians from the South. You read some of their some of their letters and some of their thoughts about slavery. And it just, it, it makes you cringe. You're like how, how could somebody, how could this ever come into your mind? Then you look at the economics of the time period. And, and really that was, that, that was their conception of economics, you know, and especially in Virginia, there was this, and, and I hate to call it this, but, an industry they produced slaves enslaved people to then sell into the deep south to actually work they sort of sold their humanity for the dollar hadn't they exactly and 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 that was how they primarily made their money that was how they they supported themselves it, you know and, and the scope of this you know there were many people there were many poor whites who didn't own slaves but then you ask yourself well they were still involved in the economy so did they were they involved and then you expanded even further into northern industries 
that took cotton from the South and manufactured goods. And so how complicit were they in the slave owning industry? It's almost as if it's a really complex issue that would take (laughs) decades to sort out. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And, and you, you start to get a sense in this time period, looking at this time period of why the founders took a pass at it because they, they realized how complex it was. But then at the same time, you want to scream at them. Why didn't you <laughs> avoid this? You could have avoided this. Yeah, If I remember correctly, we did dock Washington a couple of points, didn't we? Yeah. Um, I think. <laughs> we must have done. Yeah, surely we did. Um Washington was a minus six. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing that minus six was for for not really getting to grips with this. I don't know. Do you think it could have been dealt with in the early days? Well, and it's interesting because especially looking at the 1790s, you know, before the invention of the cotton gin. So there is this one Virginian, Robert Carter. Um, He came from this very affluent Virginia aristocracy, you know, one of the big, if not the big family in Virginia at the time. And he is the person who had the most enslaved people that he freed, all of them, on one day. And not only freed them, but made provisions to try and support them, or if they wanted to leave the South, he would help them to do that. It ended up his family suffered in terms of, of their personal finances. And they got to a very, you know, they they ended, he ended his life in more humble beginnings, much more humble than he started. But he felt that it was the right thing to do. And at that time, he was still able to do it. But after that time, you know, you have the invention of the cotton gin, you have the Haitian Revolution, you have... Um, various slave uprisings and they start to constrict the ability to actually emancipate slaves. Uh, They place further limits on enslaved people. You know, you have all these slave laws being passed and it just becomes this more rock solid institution that is harder to break through. And to me, it seems like the 1790s were really the last chance to turn, and it, it was going to be difficult even then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what is definitely lost uh, about American history, at least to the, the casual observer from the outside, is just how fragile America was to begin with. You can see why they were nervous about trying to do anything that would rock the boat in the early days, because it it could literally bring this new country to its knees. Uh, Monarchy was just around the corner, and a lot of people feared that. Well, and and even beyond monarchy, chaos. You you have the the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror, and you look at primary documents from the 1790s, and one of the things I've been surprised in my podcast doing research is how many people you have saying, oh, well, I think in a few years, it's all going to fall apart. We're going to be in a civil war. We're going to have states seceding. And this is the 1790s. This is yeah, you know, yeah. Washington's <laughs> presidency. It's like, whoa. That, but 
to your point, you know, it, it was very fragile and they didn't know what it, would they end up with a monarch? Would they end up with guillotines? Mm. Well, John Adams thought that it was all going to fall apart, didn't he? Just before he became exactly. president. It's, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that it, that's somewhat overlooked because America is so powerful now. You kind of forget that it wasn't at some point. Exactly. Yeah. Um, right. Going going back to the the disgrace gate of the other presidents. Then, so Tyler was the clear winner in this round. Uh, the rest are pretty much on a par. I mean, considering these are not very well known presidents, you kind of think a few things would go under the radar that they get away with. But there's not a huge amount. The only person who really stood out was Fillmore. Yeah. Uh, but with Fillmore, the way he scored minus six. Um, but the way we do our categories is the it's, Disgracegate is more personal and stuff he does that's disgraceful on yeah. behalf of the state goes into taking points away from statesmanship. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, that minus six doesn't seem too bad. I just didn't like Fillmore, is what I'm <laughs> trying to say. <laughs> and um, I, I just never got a, a sense of uh, it being someone that I wanted to know more about whilst I was reading the biography. So that minus six almost surprises me slightly. I even double-checked it when I was writing my list today. Uh, so do you think we've been too kind on Fillmore, or do you think we've done the right thing? I Actually, I think you've done the right thing, although I, I do have to admit, Fillmore is definitely one of those... He He feels like a politician... Yeah. And that's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> you don't say. You just you 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 come across Fillmore and and you're just like you almost get the sense you and especially with the anti-Catholic sentiment that he expressed yeah very publicly and you almost want to ask, you know, did he really believe this? Or was this just mm, for political yeah. gain? And I don't know which one's worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it certainly is one of those ones where you read it and you just see how much it reflects what's going on in today's world. Mm. Uh, so perhaps that's what led me to dislike him quite as much as I did. Um, but yeah, so he's, he's on his minus six because apart from... Well, it's the Fugitive Slave Act that gets me, but that doesn't really fall into this round. But that was that was awful. Um, yes. And again, uh, the Fugitive Slave Act is not something that I've I'd come across before uh, starting this podcast. Um, is is that something in America that is is widely widely known about, or is that brushed under the carpet? It it is one of those aspects of this you know lead up into the civil war that is well discussed but i think what most people don't know is that this wasn't the first fugitive slave act yeah they yeah. actually had one all the way back in washington's presidency and right. whenever i um i did an episode on oni judge who was mm. one of the enslaved people at Mount Vernon, who Washington took with him to Philadelphia during his presidency, and Oni was able to escape. Yes, yeah, such a shame we had no time to go into her story. It really is fascinating. I, I wanted to do it, and I ran out of word count. But you've got a whole episode on her, haven't you? So exactly. people should go and listen to that. I have an entire episode on her. Um, but in that, I was able to talk about the Fugitive Slave Act of that time, and 
you especially like comparing the two, you really get a sense again of this institutionalization of slavery in America. And the Fugitive Slave Act that was part of the Compromise of 1850, it it definitely takes it a step beyond not just in the letter of the act, but you know, requiring people in the North to turn in fugitive slaves. Um, and the abuse of it, that basically the onus of proving that they're not a runaway slave is on the individual who's being dragged back to the South. And so you have people who are free and have always been freed being taken and enslaved. And that's awful. Mm. But then I suppose, I mean, it's all awful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You see, I, I suppose... The history mainly is written by white men who see the Fugitive Slave Act come in and say it's awful because it's suddenly very real to them. Yeah. Uh, but then this has been the reality for most black people in America since America started. So it probably made little difference to most black people in America. It just suddenly became more visible to everyone else. And And we're still you know, dealing with those repercussions today. One of the great things about studying history now are the new voices that are coming in. You know, there is this conception of a historian as being this old white man. And now we have a new generation of historians that is anything but. (laughs) Yeah. And the, the work that's being done in history nowadays is fascinating because it it really starts to get at that this time period and all really all time periods are so much more complex whenever you start looking at the stories that haven't necessarily been told or have been left out of the narrative for so long because it was written by a certain group of people and really focused on people that they identified with that they saw oh well they're like me so let me draw out their story so it it it, but then it makes it more complex to really get a sense of well what what was going on well it's complicated it's all complicated (laughs) (laughs) which is why you end up with uh how many episodes have you done so far two (laughs) percent i think i'm in the 50s now (laughs) yeah so, Disgracegate then, would you make any changes? I think I would leave it just as it is. There we go. I think y'all did a great job there. And you, you're okay with Harrison's minus four? I am okay with Harrison's minus four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great. Okay, next round then. Silver screen. Arguably my favorite round. Silver screen. Silver screen. Um, <laughs> I do love the cinematic intros, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's the inner director in me. Uh, I, don't, I don't have cameras or budgets, but I've got a microphone, and that's all I need. Um, right, so... In this round, uh, we've got two up there near the top, um, and then we've got um, three near the bottom. And actually, that's no, quite spread out, actually. <laughs> I'll just say them, shall I? Uh, Harrison wins this one. Um, I'm sure you're pleased to know, uh, with 13. Taylor just behind him on 12. Then we've got Van Buren on 8. Tyler on 6. Fillmore on 4. And then Polk on 3. So uh, any surprises there for you? Not really. Um, 
I, I think I, I definitely agree that Polk is probably the hardest one to envision there actually being a movie about his life, because even though it's, <laughs> it's so he has a, a large impact in the political arena of the time. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's always so that's always as well as it should be. It, it really doesn't make for a good movie. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. I mean, he, he, he had that operation. Um. Oh, he did. <laughs> we we were actually yeah. we were actually on the road listening to that one and cringing the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> you you should listen to the time I um explained to Jamie how eunuchs were made in Roman <laughs> times. <laughs> it was I'd, crushing. I'd, yeah, I'd, just the word crushing is the only word you need to know. Oh. <laughs> Yes, I'm cringy now. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, I mean, he really didn't do anything, did he? It was just an incredibly boring story. Uh, he earns points in other rounds because he does interesting things, but for a film, it doesn't work, does it? No. So, I mean, he is our lowest scorer uh, in total in this round, uh, and justifiably so, I'd say. Well, and, and it's fascinating because, again, comparing this group to the first group. So, on average, Van Buren to Fillmore in silver screen, 7.67. Yeah. Washington to Jackson, 16.14. Wow, that is quite wow. a difference. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, probably reflects how many films and TV shows have been made about these presidents as well. Mm. <laughs> uh, you're just not going to get the Polk miniseries, are you? No. It is fascinating that that the two who scored highest in this are the ones that, um, with Harrison, there was a fire at his house at North Bend. Um, it was about a decade after his death. And so we lost a good many of his personal papers. Yeah. Taylor... You know, his home was in Louisiana. And so during the Civil War, you know, the, the Union Army came in. His home ended up being destroyed, as well as many of his papers. So the two that make it highest on silver screen, we know we have less uh, primary resources for, but that may work to their benefit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you can embellish a couple of things. I mean, I, I must admit, Taylor has been one of my favorite to research so far. Hmm. Um, I mean, there was a slight problem that it was just he went somewhere, he fought, he went somewhere, he fought, he went somewhere, he fought. But sprinkled in that, all the stories of um, him just dressing up and uh, <laughs> fooling his subordinates. I mean, okay, I suppose he wasn't dressing up, but I'm sure that's how they felt. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked that. <laughs> I love it. And, and, you know, you really get a sense like both of them, they were these personable characters. You get um, certain points where they're serving in the military and, and you know, in, in a leadership role. And that that's so much more appealing whenever you're thinking of a movie than backroom deals, maybe with Fillmore trying to figure out, you know, how to work in another anti-Catholic thing into a speech or <laughs> yeah. whole, it's not you know, great, is it? heading a committee and trying to parse out language for legislation it makes it a little more appealing that, you know, these are guys, you know, riding off into battle. I mean, if you are going to do that, that, 
sit-down political talk kind of film. Van Buren's the one to go for in this bunch. Oh, absolutely. Because I imagine you could get something good out of that. I I would like to see... Uh, it would essentially be a mini-series on the rise of Jackson, but through Van Buren's eyes, I think would be a fascinating thing to see. Uh, out of all the things we've covered so far, that is one of the ones I'd, I'd like to see the most. Uh, even though we only gave him eight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because... I don't know, I think I'm a bit weird like that. <laughs> I'm sure most people would rather see Harrison and Taylor running around all over the place doing exciting things and dashing uniforms. Well, if it could be worked in like a 19th century you know, West Wing style, you know, something like that, yeah, you know, this yeah. political intrigue, yeah. and especially um, with the Petticoat Affair. Um, yes, yes. You know, Peggy Eden good. and all that. I think that would be a, a really good storyline there, and Van Buren would feature prominently in it. Mm. It's a shame. We recorded the first episode of uh, Franklin Pierce at time of recording. Uh, we've um, yet to record the second one, but talking about uh, presidents with a military career, I, I don't want to waste this opportunity to discuss with someone Pierce's military career, which Poor is... Pierce. It was splendid. Leave him alone. <laughs> he tried. I mean, that, it's every now and again when I'm researching a, a president or an emperor from the Roman Emperor series where I get to a bit and just go, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for this. <laughs> <laughs> what a gift. <laughs> yeah, going to Mexico only to be thrown forward in your saddle, crushing yourself <laughs> and then fainting. <laughs> um, Poor Pierce. <laughs> He tried. He tried. Or did he? He tried. Maybe he didn't. This is it. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and you really, you know, and again, with Pierce being so little studied, you know, with Washington and Jackson, you can go to numerous biographies and kind of get a, a better sense of, well, okay, well, maybe we can look at it from this way. Maybe we can look at it from another way. But when you've only got like one or two voices that, Okay, well, this guy's saying that, you know, he he really did try. It was just a set of bad circumstances, and then another. Well, he had a lot of bad circumstances. <laughs> yes. I'm being kind of cynical <laughs> about this. It was <laughs> one after another, wasn't it? <laughs> was he really that unlucky? And I mean, when whenever you look at his entire life, you do have to start wondering was he really that unlucky <laughs> <laughs> right so um are, are you happy with the scores in this round then i'm happy with these scores yeah and you agree with them compared to the last bunch absolutely yeah who have we got on top in this round it's uh well, it's jackson obviously it's jackson yeah <laughs> yeah he scored four marks because yeah uh, yeah he, he's andrew jackson <laughs> yeah i'm glad disgracegate takes points off in this series <laughs> yeah, yeah. otherwise he would have been the runaway winner and uh, no one would have ever caught him and i don't think he deserves that so i'm glad we chose minus numbers for disgracegate because jackson it comes to okay well you know maybe you've got a two-hour runtime. which one of the many crazy shoot em out yeah. events in his life are you going to cut out <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was quite the life it was but but you could not cut out him beating the guy with a cane 
if you try to assassinate him. <laughs> that yes. has to stay. <laughs> yeah, that that is great, especially since he's really getting on by that point. As well. <laughs> exactly. Because I'm picturing like at that point, it'd be like, you know, 20 minutes or so of this this feeble Jackson kind of wandering around the White House. And then all of a sudden somebody tries to assassinate him and he starts with the cane. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the audience, oh my gosh, he's still, <laughs> yes, he's still Andrew Just, Jackson. <laughs> the, the fear of the assassin when the second pistol didn't work also. Oh, yeah. And, oh, now he's coming towards me. <laughs> so, so many camera angles you can do with that. <laughs> yes, definitely are. <laughs> right. Let's go on to our next round then. How sexy they looked. Oh, pretty much. I mean, we try and cloak it up as other things, but that's yeah. what we're judging, really. So, um, um, yeah, six portraits uh, of six different presidents. And um, let's see, we said, look at my list here, we said that um, Taylor actually wins this one along with Fillmore. We gave both of them four apiece. Uh, then Polk and Taylor, oh no, sorry, then Van Buren got 3.75, then Polk and Taylor uh, got 2.5, and then, I'm sorry to say, Harrison only got one. Uh, <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what are your thoughts uh, on, on, on their looks? So, and again, this may be my bias, but I do think Harrison deserves a little more than one. <laughs> and especially the, the portrait of him um, in the military uniform. You know, you... Uh, but that's not his official portrait, though. Ah. So we can't use it. I did see there was a much better portrait of yeah. him, but we've got to use the White House official portrait. And unfortunately, <laughs> Harrison's one for that is him... I'm not fully convinced that they painted it before he was dead because he really does look a bit dead in the painting. <laughs> his skin looks waxy. His, his stare's a bit dead. <laughs> it's unfortunately a really bad painting, which is a shame uh, because he is one of uh, America's military presidents. Uh, I am surprised they didn't go for a military-style painting. Uh, like... They did with with Taylor. Maybe he wanted to distance himself. Like I'm not a soldier. I'm a politician. I'm a I, president. I genuinely think, if I'm remembering correctly, this was painted after he died. Oh. Um, oh dear. So I don't think he had much for say. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Maybe the Ouija board. But I think that I think that is kind of how they would try and portray him. You know that that he's just kind of this everyday guy who became president. Well, he was in his and log cabin, wasn't he? It, exactly. And he liked his hard cider. <laughs> yes, he did. Oh, remembering that song. That was a good song, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the song. I mean, Taylor's portrait, he looks very rough in his portrait. <laughs> it looks like he's seen some hard days. Uh, but, I mean, it's just an impressive portrait. It's hard to go wrong if you're standing there with a sword in your hand. No. With a desert in the background. Mm. Yeah, Taylor, I mean, the nickname Old Rough and Ready... I don't think there is a better fitting nickname for anybody than for Taylor. <laughs> yeah. There definitely is an irony, though, that uh, Taylor will forever be remembered image-wise him standing in a pristine uniform, <laughs> uh, considering it sounds like he never wore his. <laughs> well, and, and it'll be interesting when you get to Grant 
because again, you got this idea, you know, we, we have these ideas of great military leaders always looking, you know, in these great uniforms and looking ship shape, but Taylor and Grant, no, they were known as being slovenly of, of being out of official uniform of not really caring about their appearance, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it, then they make the portrait and, oh, yeah, that's that's really how he looked for you know five seconds <laughs> once upon a time. Well, Grant, Grant's already getting bonus points for his beard. <laughs> so, so he's got that. Um, yeah, Fillmore's portrait we found interesting. It's very much reminiscent of George Washington's. It's back in that room with a red table standing hip on shoulder, very jauntily. Yeah, so I'm yeah. pointing at this map sort of thing. Or Constitution, yeah. was it? Yeah, it was the Constitution, I think. Uh, he's just pointing at it. Got his grubby hands all over it. <laughs> As if to say, look, it's in the Constitution, damn it, it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I really do wonder, Like, I don't know really the story behind that portrait, but I do wonder if it was intended to emulate Washington's portrait. Um, you know, because you really especially at this time of turmoil, you do get a sense of this, you know, evoking back to this historic past and these historic leaders for some sense of, well, you know, we're, we are legitimate. We, we, we're still connected with Washington and the founders and are they really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're just comparing the two photographs yeah. now. Very similar. Yeah, standing yeah. to one side of a red cloth table, window in the background. I mean, it can't be a coincidence. It's, yeah, I think yeah. I think you're right there. Uh, last thing I'll ask about the uh, portraits. It's a very important question. Does Polk have a mullet? <laughs> it it was looking pretty mullety. <laughs> I genuinely thought he did for a while. I've I've since become convinced that it's just swept back, unfortunately. <laughs> but that painting definitely starts to look like a mullet. Uh, what which... and what's really fascinating, you know, now you're getting to the point where you can start looking at. Um, you know, you have photography coming in. And so comparing some of the portraits to the actual photographs, there was one of Taylor and I believe it was during his presidency. I posted on social media one time and somebody commented, they're like, okay, this was before he died. Right. Because he's looking pretty (laughs) dead here. It was definitely not a flattering portrait. <laughs> oh, we'll have to find that out and put that up. Yeah. Right, so are you happy with our, our canvas ability scores then, apart from Harrison, who you think should get more? The the others, I will say yes. To. Yeah, but, but you want Harrison on more. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm seeing a theme. I'm not biased at all. <laughs> so, um, final scores then. Uh, we have... Uh, these six don't fare well compared to the first seven. No. Uh, in fact, all of them but Van Buren are in the <laughs> lower half. Um, yeah, so we've got Van Buren comes in seventh overall, Harrison tenth overall, Tyler is our last place. He's in minus numbers. <laughs> minus 
Polk is in ninth place with 14.5. Taylor, eighth place with 17. Fillmore, twelfth place with four. Um, I mean, talking uh, not just this group, but the all of them, where we've got Washington on top and John Quincy Adams second. Uh, anything jump out at you as a... Uh, something's gone wrong there on total scores i think that one of the things that this group suffers from is that it really does come to what are the results what are the end results of their presidencies and in this case most of them you really can't score them that high because you've still got these issues these larger issues that just keep popping up and being unresolved and you know historians have asked the question of well even if you had a, a washington or a lincoln or an fdr in this time would they really have been able to do something different and it's, can you not argue you did have a lincoln in yeah, that time well Lincoln, <laughs> not not at this time, you know. It, I suppose it is a bit later, isn't it? Well, and, and we actually had this discussion on a history group on Facebook earlier this week about Taylor and Fillmore and the Compromise of eighteen fifty. You know, I I think it's safe to assume that if Taylor had lived, I don't think he would have gone for the compromise. He was very much against it. But yeah. Yeah, what would that mean? Would states start seceding and would we have had the Civil War 10 years earlier? And if so, what ramifications does that have? Because in that 10 years, you see so much development of industry and industrial um, infrastructure that was key to winning the Civil War. Would how would that have impacted the ability of the Union Army to mobilize and get troops in place? Um, you also start to wonder, you know, how much were the Northern states fractured at this time? You know, you still got the major parties, but they're starting to dis disintegrate. And during those 10 years, you have the breakup of the Whig party. You have the, the basic breakup of the democratic party into a Northern and Southern faction. And you have the, the Republican Party coming in and developing, you know, would they have been able to achieve as much unity as was achieved in the 1860s and unity of purpose in the 1850s? Or would we have ended up with two separate nations or, or more? And, and that's the thing, like that 10 years is such a pivotal time and, and it's all speculation. Yeah, of course. But uh, we're fine with speculation on Totalis Ranky. <laughs> it's kind of our bread and butter. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so sometimes you do have to fill in the gaps. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so are you okay with our top three so far being Washington, John Quincy Adams, and Madison. Yes. I think that all three of them, you know, they, not only were they great leaders, but also I think they had visions of the future of the nation that went beyond themselves and their time period. And you, 
really don't see that with some of the other presidents. You, you really get a sense of some that are very rooted in their time for better or worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John Quincy Adams to his detriment almost, uh, unfortunately, but he doesn't lose points for it in our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what, what about our bottom three then? So we've got, um, Jackson third to bottom, which I imagine is the, the biggest upset in the podcast so far. Then we've got Fillmore and then last place Tyler. And that's the thing, you know, thinking of Jackson, he, Whenever I finally get to him a few years down the line, um, <laughs> year twenty thirty two, at my current pacing, um, Jackson is one that I really struggle with because, yeah. in terms of the influence that he had on American history, I mean that's that's undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a great influence. It's <laughs> it's, it's really not, is it? <laughs> in some ways, it's it's really awful. Yeah. But and 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 in terms of who he was, he was this this dynamic personality. Obviously, he was able to basically build this this cult of personality around him. But I, I again, don't... was it really a good personality? And I can't help but feel that the only reason why he was successful is because Van Buren managed to throw the weight of his political machine behind him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You, you see some support for him in 1824, but it's really Van Buren coming in and establishing that machine behind him, yeah. that, that, that solid force that helps him to get to victory in 1828. Yeah. Are you happy that Harrison has beaten Jackson? Very much so. <laughs> good, that, good. that was I a mean, personal is... triumph. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's only one place above at the moment. Uh, Harrison is our fourth to last. But I I mean, surely, as a Harrison fan, you've, you've got to realize you, you're going to struggle in, in things like this podcast. Are you, are you happy with where Harrison is? Absolutely. And and that's that's the thing. You know, you see the presidential rankings and, you know, Harrison is consistently towards the bottom. But then I, I question it. I'm like, did you really study Harrison or did you just <laughs> did you just take the, the cursory glance of, oh, well, he died after 30 days. He he must not have been that good he must not have really done much of anything with his life i don't really know anything about him well you know whenever you start digging into his life he he becomes a more interesting character and and to me what's fascinating about him is that he was not only present but in many cases in a leadership role in key times in american history and you you do get the sense that he felt that he was doing the right thing and, and trying to do the right thing, whether it was or not, that's for posterity to judge. But at the time he, you get the sense that he is this guy, he's trying to do the very best he can. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. I mean, I think we've done fairly well there, Jeremy, haven't we? I think generally you don't think we've made a mess of things, which is all, all I can hope for really. Well well done, Uh, (laughs) Rob. I've got a question for Jerry, though. Yeah, go on. Then. Favorite president? Does it matter if they're successful? The most interesting president. Who's your favorite? Have you not been listening to the last hour? Jerry? No, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not. Are you at least not going to say apart from Harrison? Apart from Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, and it, it's being a presidential history geek. You, I, I do have these times that I do think about, well, you know, who, who do I really like, you know, and, and it comes to many different factors, you know, who do I think was the most successful president? Who do I, who's the one that I really would like to have dinner with and have a conversation with? Um, and it's funny and I'll, I'll go ahead because, you know, of course the, the larger ones, you know, Lincoln, um, TR would just be fascinating to watch you with TR. You, you don't really get a word in, but he's just fascinating to watch. I, I would imagine, but in terms of the thinking of the lesser known presidents, I'll be interested to see what you think of Rutherford B. Hayes. Beard. <laughs> he does have a that beard. That is literally all I can say right now. <laughs> that is all I know about him. He's he's one, you know, very much less known, but he has an interesting story as well. So post-war, because we're, we're rapidly approaching the war, um, are we going to see an uptick in, in terms of points, do you think? No. Or is it just... <laughs> no. no. Well, well, there's there's one that... There's one that stands out, <laughs> but other than that, no, probably not. <laughs> You've got a ways to go. Fair enough. <laughs> right. My final question then, uh, since you got one, Jamie, uh, on a scale of one to 10, how evil was Calhoun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do now, every time I, I see Calhoun's name or see his portrait, I do think of a volcano layer <laughs> and all of the, the poor little kittens wandering around <laughs> just waiting. Now Calhoun and Calhoun is a difficult figure to study because you know, he, he does have this large impact just like Clay and Webster, you know, they're, they're thrown together in, in this, yeah. you know, the, the American triumvirate. But the ideas that Calhoun espoused and you start looking at some of his writings and it's like, oh my gosh, he, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. And again, it's like you said earlier, how much was it just so he would gain support? And does that even matter? Because <laughs> it's awful either way. Well, and with Calhoun, with what I've studied of him, he he genuinely did believe that you know that this as they call it the peculiar institution you know that it needed to persist and grow and it by any means necessary even to and up to nullification and secession you know and and in him you see the development it's it's the next generation of some of the most awful ideas that came in to Jefferson, you know, these, these ideas started with Jefferson, you know, the, yeah, the Kentucky yeah, and Virginia exactly. resolutions, this idea that states could nullify federal law. Um, you see that he's taking that and running with it and growing from it and with it. And he didn't necessarily have to, because you look at Calhoun's early career and he is more of a, a, a as we would think of like a federalist, a nationalist thinking of the whole nation, but increasingly over time, 
his focus becomes on the South and the slave power and how do we use the institutions to ensure the continuation of this region and this institution. So, uh, what's the score then? (laughs) (laughs) He would be very high on disgrace gate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no, I definitely agree. At some point we definitely will do some episodes on non-presidents because there's so many characters I want to go back and look at in more detail. Calhoun, I imagine, will get an episode. It won't necessarily be a fun one. (laughs) Well, and and even thinking of Henry Clay and Daniel Webster, um, there are things about them that, you know, they're kind of cringeworthy at times too. So, Mm -hmm. but, you know, they were major players at the time. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much uh, for coming and having a chat with us. Uh, It's always very weird talking like live to someone who you've listened to a lot of podcasts of at times <laughs> listening to you speak as like, Oh no, I'm not listening to a podcast. I need to respond. <laughs> yeah. And vice versa. I keep waiting <laughs> to hear the, the voice. Oh, he's, he's sleeping at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Voice goes away. Yeah. <laughs> he's got to rest up a bit. He does. He does. Great. Right. Well, Thank you very much. We'll have to um, have a chat with you again at some point later on down the line and see see what you think of our other judgments. Absolutely. Look forward to it. And if you ever want me on Whiskey Battles, I've got a... It is a... Oh. Hold on. Let me grab it. It is a Jefferson's Very Small Batch bourbon. Oh, yes. Oh. You sent me a link to that. That looked yes. amazing. Yeah. I think that would be one for whiskey battles. Yeah, you, you, you can definitely come along on whiskey battles. I'm not yeah. entirely sure how we'd do it this way, but who cares? We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Where, where do you live? <laughs> come on over. North Carolina. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, well, I suppose we'll, thank you. we'll end the the episode there then. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much for that. That was That was really good. No problem. Thank y'all. This was so much fun. It was fun. Chat- and good to actually finally get to talk to you. Yeah, after, what, how long? About a year of chatting online? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been great. And and Jamie, I Jamie, I have to say that I loved the going into the scoring for Millard Fillmore. Yeah. <laughs> Let's rate this mother. <laughs> it's like, yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, someone else actually commented on uh, you, Jamie, just being the voice that they wanted to say. <laughs> I don't think it was Fillmore. I think it was someone else. <laughs> you were just expressing disappointment. Yeah. And hatred in many ways. <laughs> Can't we do better yes. than this? <laughs> Come on. So there you go. That was uh, was our interview. Um, I, I enjoyed that one. Uh, yeah, it was very enjoyable. Yeah. It's always nice chatting to people uh, because we s- know stuff. Well, we sit in a room with a microphone and um, we talk, and then you talk to someone in real life who knows about your podcast, and you go, "Oh, people are listening." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, and he works at averages and everything. I know he did more work than I did. I, I genuinely thought about doing that because I created, <laughs> I, I, I copied our table. We yeah. Got, and I thought, oh, I could work out some. It's like, oh, I, I, I just didn't have time. Who have would time. do a thing like that? <laughs> yeah, he's clearly more dedicated than we are. Hmm. But 
evidenced by the fact that he spent years on Washington alone. He's got so many to do. So go and check out his podcast. And uh, we'll have to have him on our whiskey series one day. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Great. Next week is Pierce Part 2. Find out what happened when he becomes president. And uh, until then, goodbye. Goodbye. just got yourself a bottle of whiskey yeah we're right <laughs> excellent i'm impressed so right. i'll open it later yeah you can open my beer now though no worries <laughs> i have plans later <laughs> well, what whiskey did you get jeremy jim beam rye oh nice nice American whiskey Board. I don't think I've had a the rye version of Jim Beam before. No, me neither. I like Jim oh. Beam. Yeah, I thought I'd give it a go. Yeah. Is it only eighteen pounds? I thought let's go for it. Yeah. Right. You've got your whiskey. We're I'm sorted. Back. I'm now happy. <laughs> <laughs>